This is Michael Easley in Context. Here's a peek at what Michael will be talking about today. You asked earlier if grief had become our identity, and I think the, what we have chosen instead, I think it would be related to that, is that we see ourselves as stewards. Believers, we get handed many different things that God entrusts us with, and when we read the parable of the talents in the scriptures, what we see is they're entrusted to us for one purpose, and that's for a return for his kingdom. And so I think what has helped us maybe from taking on that identity and what helped us pretty immediately during Gabe's life and then in the years since his death is to see that this is what God entrusted to us. It's not what we would have asked for. And, you know, even being here with you around the microphone, I mean, David and I are comfortable in front of microphones. So we further see this is what God has entrusted to us. And so we are seeking to be good stewards with it. For more information, go to michaelincontext.com. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. Welcome to the broadcast. It's a privilege to have David and Nancy Guthrie in studio. Now, David and Nancy's story is one that's going to be challenging and encouraging, uh, hard at times, grieving through the loss of a child, no, the loss of two children, and how we press on by faith in Christ. Thanks for joining us again today for the last part of our interview with David and Nancy Guthrie. You're working through grief, you're working through loss, uh, family dynamics, all these things. It doesn't stop. And somewhere in there you decide, okay, are we going to have any more children? Once we had Hope, and she had Zellweger syndrome, which she had that because evidently David and I are, are carriers of the recessive gene trait for that syndrome. We knew that that means that whenever we have a child, that child would have a 25% chance of having the fatal syndrome. So we had our healthy son, Matt. And we had Hope, who had hit these 25% odds of having the fatal syndrome. And so we had a difficult decision to make about whether or not we would have more children. And honestly, Michael, it wasn't a simple decision. Some people might immediately say, oh, gosh, I would never want to take that chance. But I realized that when they hear our story, they perhaps imagine the pain of it, but that it's harder to imagine the joy of it. And her life did bring us a lot of joy. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't immediately say, no, it would be the worst thing in the world to have another child who lived with us a short time like Hope did. But also, you know, our lives aren't just us. And there was our son, Matt, who lived in a house for six months waiting for his sibling to die. Mm. And then a lot longer in a house with a really sad mom, which I promised you could not have been fun. And there was our parents. And as hard as it is to lose a child, I think it's perhaps doubly difficult to watch your child lose a child. You have nothing in your bag to pull out to fix it. And so we decided to take surgical steps to prevent another pregnancy. So you can imagine our surprise, to put it mildly, to learn a year and a half after Hope died that I was pregnant. Mm. But we weren't just surprised. We were afraid. Of course. (laughs) Uh, There was part, when I first discovered it, like this cautious sense of joy, like Here's this thing we have ruled out, and God has clearly overruled it. And perhaps he's done so because he's going to give us another healthy child to raise and enjoy, which we didn't expect, and which, honestly, at that point, our family didn't feel complete. And so Mm -hmm. that possibility was a joyous possibility, but significant. Um, But then there was also this 
hit in the gut. Like, wow, you mean you might be asking us to love and lose another Another child child. to go through this again? And that seemed overwhelming. Mm. So we went through prenatal testing because we felt like it's going to be helpful to know which way we're going and discovered that the child I was carrying was a boy this time who would also have the fatal syndrome. 25% chance. So a lightning strike mm-hmm. twice. How far along were you in your pregnancy when you had the testing done? I had the testing done at, at about eight weeks and we got the news at about 15 weeks. So very early. And we had uh, arranged with the uh, doctor, the geneticist, when he got the results of the test that he would call us and we, I was working at the office, Nancy was at home and um, so we just decided I'll, I'll drive home and we'll talk to him on the phone, we'll get that news together. And, um, and actually this was a really cool thing for me. Um, my drive home, I, um, as you can imagine, it was so intense and we were uh, yeah, just thinking, wow, what if? And uh, can we do this again? And um, and on on the drive home, for some reason, I, I just I had the thought: What if this phone call were this big momentous phone call were a different kind of call? What if it were our pastor, for example, calling and saying, um, "There's a, a a young mother giving birth, a single mother giving birth to a child. They've just discovered that the child will have Zellweger syndrome. She can't possibly care for the child." Um, you know, they it, it, could there possibly be parents who would adopt such a child? Unbelievable. Yeah, and I thought in that moment we would do it. Yes, you know. I wow. mean, I I just thought we've been through the, down that road before. We know both the joys and the the challenges, the devastating sorrow of it. But um, what what a calling! And would we do it? Yes, we'd do it. And uh, so by the time I got home, I really felt like uh, my heart was kind of prepared for that message, if that was uh, the news that we were going to get. And indeed, um, the doctor got us on the phone and said, well, the tests are in and they're positive. Are the degrees of the disease, this recessive trait, in other words, um, a child is not going to live, they're not going to thrive, quality of life discussions? Yes, this disorder is part of a spectrum that are similar but one doesn't lead to the other, okay. and um, and honestly, it's not easy to talk about. I mean, it, 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 right, right. It's a it's a medical. Um, well, it's and, and a lot of parents with trisomy eighteen children, uh, these type of diagnoses, you don't hear those things uh, until you face them. You don't yeah. read them as common things, and then of course you read the, the statistics on how long these children live and what degree they they will develop and not. So, so take us through the pregnancy. Yeah, it was very different this time, oh. you know, to go through nine months of pregnancy knowing that we were going to have a child who was going to die. Um, in some ways, it made it more precious. Wow. You know, that was part of his life that we wanted to cherish. Uh, it was awkward at times. You know, we would see people who knew we had had a child who died, and, and they'd see I was pregnant, and they'd go, oh. oh, yeah. And, you know, to over and over again say, yeah, but this child's going to die too. I mean, Talk about a conversation stopper. You know, that was awkward. Did you want to hide? Times. Did you want to stay home? No. No? No. I, I, we had already begun during Hope's life after her death to sense that God wanted to use us in the lives of other people. And I went from somewhere along the way. I, 
I went from early on in Hope's uh, life and shortly after her death being very caught up in resentment toward people and the way they responded or didn't Mm -hmm. to me and being very concerned about how they responded to me and us to somehow God doing a work of grace in my life so that I began to see what a privilege it was that this experience opened up a door for us to minister to and bless other people. Okay, I'm going to stop you there, Nancy, because because I would say nine out of ten women Nine out of ten couples would not be able to do that because you're so focused on your own hurt, your own injury, your own wound, that it's it's hard for them to get out of that. Um, and it is hard. Mm-hmm. So remarkably, where, where did that come from in you? It, it'd be one thing if this was the first time, but now the second, it's like double duty here. Okay, Lord. Well, I think this... there's several things at work. I mean, for me, I would say this idea that we discussed before that God can and does have good purposes, even in suffering, uh, helped me uh, face this with a sense of purpose. Uh, I, I want this to be purposeful in my life. And we had the benefit, the blessing of looking back just a year and a half, two years before, and we could prove that. You know, we could look back to but, things but you that had felt to make so choices. Hard. But you had to make choices not to go dark. You had yeah. to make choices to say, I choose, David, I choose to see God's hand in this. I mm. choose to look for some good in this because it'd be much easier to choose the other. And say, God, you're not fair. I mean, yeah, you're God, you're sovereign, you do what you want. The Lord is in his heavens. He does what he pleases. Yeah. But I don't have to like what pleases him. Sure. sure. I, yeah. I went away for a few days after we got that. Uh, diagnosis from the doctor. I had to go on a business trip and I said, okay, I'll go if you'll buy me a couple of extra nights in a nice hotel. Cause I just thought I've got to, I need some time to Deep think and pray and cry. And I can remember that time doing that. And I can just picture myself, Michael, in the hotel room down in San Antonio, as I got ready to go to the airport to come back home after those days. And I just remember looking out the window and just saying to God, okay, God, if you're going to ask me to do this again, then you must have something really good that you want to do with it that outweighs, out-glorifies um, the suffering aspect of it. If that's so, then I want you to do it. Mm-hmm. To me at that point, the greatest tragedy would be if we walked through it again and if somehow we were so resentful or resistant to God that in a sense it was just wasted pain. I just said, okay, God, if you're going to do something, with it, then do it and keep me from being resistant to whatever it is you want to do through it. Even if the work you want to do is only in me, just don't let this pain be wasted pain. Let it not be for nothing. So when you ask, you know, how do we get to that place? I think that's it. You know, that sense in which we didn't want it to be for nothing. How do you both keep from looking at your life as this is your identity. Don't you get tired of being identified as the couple that lost two children to a rare genetic disorder? Yes. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, Yeah. and I suppose to some people, I I think the bigger thing is there have been times, there have been times in this journey, I have felt like maybe it is my identity, and even greater than that, that certain people around me see that as I think it's who I've become and that being embarrassing to me. 
But here's the thing, Michael. We only want to be identified by one thing, and that's our connectedness to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think over the years now, we have interacted with enough grieving people that especially those for whom it has become their identity, that we've gotten a close view of that, and it's not pretty. It's not, and and it's my experience too, even as a pastor, is that people Mm -hmm. are identified by a divorce, by a loss, by a death, by a disease, whatever, and it's so hard to say, look, as we began, we're fallen creatures in a fallen context, we're all going to die, we can't anticipate what that's gonna be like, we'll all react differently, and there's not any right or wrong way to embrace these things. You, you just you walk through them blindly by faith and begging for mercy. But you guys, obviously, through Christ's mercy and Christ's strength and faith, and I hope a community at some point came around, at least oh, very much there so. were a handful that said, hey, we're with you on oh, this. so much. Well, yeah, we had a ton of, of support, and we're, we're so grateful for that. I mean, we, it's interesting. You're talking about identity. Um, a few years after we lost our second child, uh, I lost my job. I um, <clears throat> I was let go from the company I'd worked for for 21 years, and you know, talk about your identity. You know, yeah, for we, a man especially, so much we uh-huh. wear that as unfortunately, as, yeah. So everyone has those things that come along, and you know, now it redefines, or we're for, forced to look again at who we are and how we uh, identify and define ourselves and what makes our life worthwhile. And I would just say that that's not a bad thing. It's a hard thing, and it really hurts. Um, and, and, yeah, I'll mention these uh, retreats that Nancy and I do, these respite retreats, weekends for 11 couples that get with us, 11 other couples who have lost mm-hmm. a child. Um, we find people at all points on that journey. And some are entrenched, quite honestly, in that identity. Um, and are finding it difficult to move on or move forward or move at all. And that's one of the challenges that uh, grief presents. But, but honestly, um, it's a beautiful thing to see uh, God be faithful uh, when we throw our confidence and our trust in him that uh, we won't be uh, sunk by this heavy grief. Um, but we... Uh, go to him. He invites us to throw our cares on him. Uh, he cares for us and that he walks with us through that valley of the shadow of death. And it's a beautiful thing to see people making those halting <laughs> uh, steps forward. Well, one sentence answer. How did God care for you? He promised me that he would do a work of healing and he has done a work of healing and he is doing a work of healing. David? Yeah. I would say that the sense of hopefulness that my life is not finished and that, I mean, honestly, there's something um, strangely encouraging (laughs) about uh, walking through the most difficult thing you can imagine and find that you're still standing. Mm. And, um, you know, all I can say is that um, I believe that as I've put my trust in Christ to sustain me with purpose and even the energy and, and joy to, to, to uh, find life worthwhile after these devastating losses, um, there, there's something very encouraging about that. Your second child? Our son Gabriel was born July 16th, 2001. 
you know, he looked like hope and he was impacted in many of the same ways that hope was. Um, like hope, they both had about three months developed seizures, which we had to medicate them heavily for. And, um, you know, the sweet thing about Gabriel was we weren't shocked when he was born like we had been with Hope. You know, we didn't have to reckon with the fact that he was okay. going to die when he was born. That was that's done, that right? Was given. And we also didn't have to research anything about this syndrome. We were prepared for what it was going to take to care for him. Um, all of those things, that helped us to just begin his life seeking to enjoy it, resting in it, and making the most of it. And so, you know, we thought actually that he might be with us a little longer than Hope was Mm -hmm. because he seemed a little stronger than she was. But he was with us a few days less. He was with us 183 days. And then we said goodbye to him. And so then we were once again back to a very quiet house (laughs) and a family of three. And it's like, what just happened to us? Gabe's life was a a little different in that um, even more people were were watching, I guess. Um, The day of his birth... There was a story about him in in the uh, Time magazine dated for that day. It was on the uh, on the newsstands there in the hospital, you know, in the gift shop. And at one point, I I, I went out around the nursing station. I saw several nurses kind of hunched over, and they were actually reading this story. And it was a, not a medical story; it was um, a religion story, and it was. Uh, a piece written by the religion editor at Time Magazine at that time, David Van Bema. You can still find it, I think, in the archives online, that he titled, uh, When God Hides His Face, which is taken from Job, the Job story. When God hides his faith, can faith survive when hope has died? Wow. And it, it talked about our experience with hope up until the time that Nancy was pregnant with Gabe. And then uh, the the story came out in that that uh, edition. So it was really interesting from the beginning of his life. I think we had a heightened sense. We, you know, we had to fight to uh, not treat his brief life as if it were a big sermon illustration or, <laughs> um, you know, a TV show. It was, we, again, we, uh, from the lessons of Hope's life, we learned to grab every moment that we could. You asked earlier if grief had become our identity. And I think the, what we have chosen instead, I think it would be related to that, is that we see ourselves as stewards. Believers, we get handed many different things that God entrusts us with. And when we read the parable of the talents in the scriptures, what we see is they're entrusted to us for one purpose, and that's for a return for his kingdom. And so I think what has helped us maybe from taking on that identity and what helped us pretty immediately during Gabe's life and then in the years since his death is to see that this is what God entrusted to us. It's not what we would have asked for. And, you know, even being here with you around the microphone, I mean, David and I are comfortable in front of microphones. So we further see this is what God has entrusted to us. Mm -hmm. And so we are seeking to be good stewards with it. And similarly, the respite retreats, these weekend retreats that we do for couples who've lost children. We do these retreats and the couples walk in and they're so sad. And over the weekend, they experience the relief of being in a room where everybody in the room gets it and understands it. They don't have to, they've come from places where 
they feel like everybody walks around eggshells on them and it's so awkward to go into a crowd and that they do have written across them those people whose child died and they get in this room and they hear other couples articulating things they have felt and thought and they think oh i'm not crazy and i'm not alone and then by the time the weekend's over they don't want to go home right and so those have been an incredible way for david and i to be good stewards and people ask us all the time why would you want to do that and sometimes <laughs> honestly we're driving out there in the weekend we think we're spending what in the, world the we, weekend uh, yeah, with 11 yeah. couples who are in so much pain why would we want to do that but then on sunday when we drive away we go that's why that's, what, yeah. that's ministry again the apostle paul writes blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ the father of mercies and the god of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Passage I go back to again and again and again with with just life and stuff and loss that um, if it was only that I get through this and learn something I otherwise could not have learned, what a pity. But if I then can say, okay, Lord, how can I be used to help the couples you're ministering to, others who are in grief, um, that's maturity in my book. That's when we're, we've grown beyond faith being a salve for my problem to now how do I live this life uh, with some meaning beyond just God explain it to me. One word for those couples who have lost a child, a couple who's about to walk out of a marriage because they can't stand it. They're, they're in the blame situation. If you hadn't done this, if you hadn't done that, what would you tell them? In your incredible loneliness of grief, Lean toward and give grace to that one person who ties you most closely to that child you have lost. And just give each other a lot of grace to grieve in your own way and in your own timing. Nancy and I actually wrote a little book together called uh, When Your Family's Lost a Loved One. It's a great little book, mainly because it's got uh, contributors from uh, all different walks and experiences of loss. But one thing that I wrote in there, it was as a tiny portion of the book, and, and it's not worth buying the book for this, but <laughs> that seems to really help guys and, and couples, actually, is um, just to encourage men who are going through grief, uh, fathers who are going through grief, and trying to get their wife through it and get themselves through it and their family through it, is just show up, <laughs> step up, you know, this is an opportunity for you uh, to be uh, that husband, to be that father. And um, you don't have to get it perfect. Us guys, we like to know how to do stuff. We like to do it right. Um, just just uh, step up and be willing to walk through this with your wife. And um, you're not a jerk. You're not doing it wrong. It'll feel like that. But, um, you know, just... Just keep going, keep moving, and stay present and, and be there. Sometimes it's just doing the next thing. Yeah. 
Exactly. It's washing a load of clothes. It's getting out of bed. It's showering and shaving. It's getting dressed. It's running an errand. It's, I mean, it's just do the next thing because the, the list is too long. Yeah. And it's just too big of a, a thing to, to digest. Yeah. David and Nancy Guthrie, thanks for being on the broadcast. Thank you for Thank inviting you, us. Michael. It's been a privilege. Well, I trust you've learned as much as I have about holding on to hope in times of loss. May the Guthrie story be a ministry to you of God's faithfulness to them, and to his children, and to you and me. Thanks again for listening to the broadcast. This is Michael Easley in Context. For more information, go to michaelincontext.com. If you have questions or comments, please let us know at michaelincontext.com. Follow Michael on Twitter at Dr. Easley. Thank you for listening to Michael Easley in Context.